Welcome to a uh, special edition of Thursday night class. We are uh, right before Haga Shavuot. Aleno de Tova Amen. And therefore, we'll direct our comments tonight just on some uh, preparatory words uh, and some insight on some of the uh, ideas related to the upcoming Hag. Uh, the starting point of tonight's class is a Gemara Shabbat on page Pehet. If anybody's interested in knowing the events that took place at Matan Torah, Gemara Shabbat, Daf Pezayin, Pehet, Petet, gives really a lot of the history. It's worth your reading. Uh, but today I want to focus on one statement. Uh, we don't even know who said it. It says it was in the name of a uh, Galilea, you know, somebody from the... Uh, from the Galilee. <clears throat> and uh, what did he say? So he came along and he said, Darash hahu galila'a ale de Rav Chesda. So he said this in front of Rav Chesda. Berich rachamana diahiv orian telita'e le'am telita'e al yede telita'e beyom telita'e so he said, Blessed be the merciful one that he gave us a Torah that has three parts to it. The three parts are Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. And he gave it to a nation that also has three parts, Kohanim, Nevi'im, and Yisraelim. And he gave it to us through the third child of Amram, you had Miriam, Aharon, and Moshe. He also was a third. Um, on the third day, because there was three days first of separation, the Shelosha Yemeh Hagbala, and then the Torah was given. In the third month, which is the third month, Nisan Iyar Sivan. So this Gililae saw that uh, something about the number three and Matan Torah are, uh, are connected. You know, we wouldn't have thought that that's the magic number of Matan Torah. If somebody would have asked me, what's the magic number? I would say 613, 613 mitzvot. I would have said 10, which connected the 10 commandments. But the Gidilae said, no, wherever you turn in Matan Torah, it's a tripartite, which means it's, uh, it's pyramidical. Everything is three. It's a triangle. Wherever you go, it's three. Whether it's the... The book of three, which is the Tanakh, which the Maharsha actually says that these items all have in common that they go up in progression. They follow the rule of Ma'alim Bakodesh. For example, Kituvim is the lowest of the books. Kituvim is like uh, the books of Tehillim and so on. That was written Beruah HaKodesh. That's a lower level of communication. Then you have Nevi'im. Nevi'im was actually written Benivu'ah, uh, prophecy, which is a higher level. Then you have the Torah, which was given by God to Moshe Rabbeinu with a clear reception. So therefore you see the Torah has progression. It goes up. And it's given to a nation of three. And the three are Yisraelim, which is Yisrael that has a lower level of Kiddushah. Levi, which is much a higher level of Kiddushah. They get to eat Maaser. And then you get Kohanim, which is a higher level, which they eat Tiruman. They serve in the Beit HaMikdash. And it was given... Uh, by three. Now we all know that Miriam, 
she was uh, great, but she was a prophetess, but her prophecy had no bearing on Torah. She never prophesied the mitzvah. She had prophecy, but nothing to do with Nivu'alidorot, for example. Aharon, on the other hand, he prophesied some of the Torah. Some of the laws were given through Aharon. And Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, his prophecy, Lokam Navi Kemoshe. And therefore, you see, it goes higher. Smalim Bakodesh. Furthermore, you have the, uh, the three days of Hagbalah. The three days of separation <coughs> also, as we'll learn tonight, go in progression. The first day that they were supposed to separate, they didn't separate from the night before because they only got the law of separation during the day. So therefore, the night before, there was no separation. The second day of Hagbalah, there was separation, night and day. And the third day, they actually went to the mikveh before they were able to receive it. So you see the three days of Hagbalah <coughs> actually progress up, and the month of Sivan clearly is part of the progression of leaving Nisan and elevating ourselves 49 days until we come to the month of Sivan, and we were at the level of Adam Rishon, let's say, before the sin, ready to receive the Torah. So that's, that's the way the Maharsha learns. He learns the, these three items represent Ma'alim Bakodesh Ve'elom but the way of the Torah is that it moves up. So I thought to look at some of the commentaries <clears throat> to actually try to understand the connection between the Torah and the number three. So to my delight, I uh, brought some of my uh, results of the research that I did. One is a beautiful piece of the Bnei Yisachar. Bnei Yisachar has many, many essays on the month of Sivan. This actually comes from his first essay, <clears throat> and it's the eighth selection in the first essay. And he says that when it comes to uh, mitzvot, there are three parts of every mitzvah in order to consider the mitzvah complete. And that is, number one, ma'aseh, the action, which that's more important than anything. You got to do the action. And then you have to add an element of dibur, speech. Now, where do we add an element of speech when we do a mitzvah? So some people say before they do the mitzvah, which means we are doing this mitzvah and the Spirit of God should rest in our handiwork and we should have uh, success and we're doing it in the Shem Shalim. Others make a beracha. The beracha is the dibud, the verbal expression. Or some have the custom, and this is brought down in the Zora Kadosh, that you should read the source pasuk of the mitzvah before you do the mitzvah. That's where you'll see some people before they count Sefirat Omer, for example. They say, And then they do the mitzvah. The reading of the Pasuk actually brings the Kiddushah of the Torah onto the person and therefore it adds an extra element to the mitzvah. The third ingredient to make a mitzvah complete is Mahshaba, meaning Kavana. Like the rabbis teach us in the Talmud, mitzvot sirichot kavanah. Mitzvot primarily need kavanah. You shouldn't do them robotically. You shouldn't do them uh, just as a rote or routine. You should do them manually with, with kavanah. Why are you doing it? What's the purpose? What's the reason? And uh, there should be some thought. Not like we see many people, unfortunately, not anybody in the class, but many people around, that they do the mitzvot like the uh, English saying, chicken without a head which means they're doing the mitzvah, but it's a headless mitzvah, and therefore it's incomplete. So the B'nai Yisrael says, anytime you do a mitzvah, that's your short checklist. You got to check off. Ma'aseh, dibur, 
and machshaba. If you did that, you have the perfect mitzvah. Now, I know it's not a shi'ud in, uh, in Kabbalah, but there's no reason, since we're coming to Matan Torah, that we shouldn't expand our vocabulary at least, so you know some terminologies that if you have to go to a real class of Kabbalah, you'll say, oh, the rabbi mentioned that in the class one day, I know what they're talking about. In Kabbalah, they talk about three levels of development uh, in, a, in a person, let's take. And those three levels are called Ibur, Yenika, Mohin. I'll say it again. Ibur means uh, uh, actual development as a fetus, as a ubar, ibur. And then you have yinika, that's when the child is born and is, let's say, nursing, your neck. And then you have mohin, that's when his, his intellect starts to kick in. Mohin melashon mawah. And B'nai Yisachar explains that these three parts of man, development actually represent the three items we just mentioned. For example, a baby in the mother's womb, ladies will know this better than me because I never experienced it, take my word. But when a lady is, uh, has a baby inside of her, the baby cannot talk. The baby's mouth actually is sealed. And they haven't proven that the baby has any sort of IQ when he's in the mother's womb. And therefore, he's really limited with mohim. But what does the baby have when he's in the mother's womb? Action. The baby's kicking. The baby's moving. The mother's, oh, I felt the kick. Oh, I felt another jab. Oh, he's, 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 he's jumping around tonight. He's dancing. So therefore, the ibur level represents ma'aseh, but without anything else. As the child develops and he nurses, and he starts to say, gaga, and he starts to talk, yinika already introduces speech, where the child starts to talk, and then when he gets bar mitzvah, that's the third state of development, that's when already he gets what's called mohin, mohin the gadlut, and now he starts to understand what he's doing. So he says in every single mitzvah, you need to add the element of ibur, yinika, and mohin. Now, again, Kabbalah for amateurs, and I'm the biggest amateur of the group, but just so you'll know some terminologies that will benefit you one day. The uh, Kabbalists, they take the human body and they break the human body into three parts. Uh, they break it into the top part being the head, and then you have the torso, and then you have you know, from the waist down. Three parts of the body, and they call the names as follows. The head, they refer to as Chabad. Maze Chabad, you know Chabad, the guys that, uh, you know, from Chabad, Lubavitch. That's why they're called Chabad. Chabad stands for Chokhmah, Bina, Ta'at. That's Chabad, because that's where the brain is. The brain is where all the knowledge is. So they call that the Shet, they wrote Chabad, Chokhmah, Bina, Ta'at, which is obviously the main part, actually, uh, well, I'll say something in a minute. And the middle part of the body is called Hagat. Hagat is Chesed, which is the right arm, is always Chesed. The left arm is Givura, Haga, and the torso is called Tiferet. I don't know, one day we'll explain what these words actually mean, but I'm just interested in you knowing the terminologies for tonight. Hagat, and then the waist down, which is the right leg, left leg, and center is called Nahi. Nahi means Nesach, Hod, and the center would be your sword. So again, habat, hagat, nahi. And B'nai Yisraskar explains that those are the three parts of the mitzvah. First, you have to get the nahi involved, the legs. That's the action. That's the ma'aseh. How do you do a mitzvah? You got to run. You got to get up and do something. It needs movement. Mobility is in the bottom half of the body. That's the nahi. And then you have to add the element of 
dibud, that's in the Haggad, because in the Haggad area, that's where the lungs are. And the lungs give air in order for a person to speak. So therefore you have dibud, and then you add the final element, which is the habad, which is the machshava, and therefore mitzvot sinichot kabbalah. So the three parts of the body, the way the kabbalah divides it, represents the three elements that are needed for a mitzvah. Now there's one more element of three, and tonight the magic number is three, obviously, and that is the three parts of the soul. Three parts of the soul are called nefesh, ruach, neshama, or they call it naran. Now I know some of you heard that there's five parts of the soul called naranhi, nefesh, ruach, neshama, haya, yechida. Well, we should be zochet to haya and yechida. You got to be a big uh, tzaddik to get those two uh, upgrades. But we're talking about, let's say, common folk like us, halvai, we should be zochet for these three. Now let's explain what the three are. Nefesh is represented in the nefesh bahami. Nefesh represents the physical part of the person, and that's where action is. Action is always found in nefesh. That's the body. That's where he does the, the, uh, the, uh, the movements. And then you have ruach. Now we know that speech is referred to ruach memalela, a spirit that speaks. And therefore ruach is the ability to speak, which we add that. And then you have neshama, which is in the brain. That's where it's found. Actually, the neshama is found right where the men put the tefillin shilrosh. That's where the, uh, the, the neshama is found. Um, the ladies, I guess it's where they have the clip for the wig. I'm not sure where it is exactly. But the point is, it's somewhere in the head as well. <clears throat> the point is that the three parts of the neshama, nefesh, ruach, and neshama, also represent these three items. So therefore, we have to engage all the parts. We have to engage the level of ibud, and then the level of yinika, and then the level of mohin. And we have to engage the level of nahi, and then the level of hagat, and the level of habad. And we have to engage the level of nefesh, and we have to engage the level of ruach and neshama. So the Rav comes along and says that before we could get the Torah, we needed to go through three stages. So he learns that Yitziat Mitzrayim was stage one. That's when we came out of the birthing womb. We were born in Egypt. Am Zuya Santali. Mitzrayim is a Metzen. Metzen is a, a narrow canal. So when we came out of Mitzrayim, it's like we were born. But it's uh, Ibur. We didn't have too much, uh, uh, you know, uh, level. Okay, Ibur. So God gave us a few mitzvot just to do some action. Mila, uh, Pesach. And then we got to Mara, which was the next stage. And he started to give us more mitzvot. That's when we reached the level of Yenikah. Then we got to Har Sinai, which was... Uh, st- stage three of the process, we got the Mohin de Gadlut, and that's why uh, uh, it says, meaning it was the third Hidush in development. The first Hidush is the Ibud when we came out, the second Hidush was when we got to Maram, we got some woman's vote, and then the final development of maturity, which again we call the Mohin of Gadlut that we received, that is on. Uh, on, uh, on Shavuot. So that's the reason why the Gililah said, we are so lucky we have a Torah of three. Because it's reminding us, don't forget that this Torah needs the element of you need to engage all three parts of your soul. You need to engage all three parts of your body. It's a stark reminder that anytime you do a mitzvah, make sure you have a ma'aseh, you have a dibur, and you have a machshabah. Then already the mitzvah is that's a mitzvah that's worthy to present to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Again, if you want to see that piece, Ayin in the Bnei Yisrael. But I didn't come to say this tonight. Consider this that, uh, as an opening and a starter. Although it's a, 
It's a nice chidush, but that's not really the main course of what I came to do tonight. I actually also found a Benish Hai. The Benish Hai, he connects another Gemara that says that there was a rabbi called Rabbi Yosef. And Rabbi Yosef, while it seems, had a modest diet during the course of the year, but when it came to Shavuot, it says, oh, he pulled out, you know, the, uh, the, the good stuff. He pulled out the Igla Tilta, the Gemara says. And Igla Tilta, according to one opinion, is the uh, calf that's third from the womb. Now, supposedly, I'm not an aficionado, but supposedly they say that the third one from the womb is better than the second one and better than the first one. Seems by that time when it comes out the third, it's already tender and, you know, it has a benefit. And he would save that for Shavuot. Therefore, he would have the best meat meal they could have on Shavuot. So, Igla Tilta. Now, why did he choose that? Igla Tilta. He could have had, you know, a Delmonico steak. He could have had uh, lamb chops. He joined Igla Tilta. So the Benish Chai says in Masichet Benachot, because he wanted to remember what the Gidela said, that since the Torah is a tripartite, right? it's a Torah of three, therefore he wants to remember it's a Torah of three. Torah Nevi'im Ketuvim, given by Moshe, is also the third from the womb. It's given in the third month, it's given on the third day, it's given to a nation that's divided by three. So therefore, add to the list. I'm going to have Igla Tilta to remember the Dirasha. So says a great rabbi called Rav Ovadia Hadaya. Rav Ovadia Hadaya Alav Ashlom was the author of the Teshuvot Yaskil Avdi. He was a great uh, rabbi of halakha and Kabbalist as well. His brother is the famed Rav Shalom Hadaya, who was the father-in-law of our first chief rabbi, Rabbi Jacob S. Kassin, Alav Shalom. His father was uh, Rav Shalom Hadaya, but the Hadaya family is known. Even today in Eretz Israel, they still run the Yeshivat HaMekubalim, in Yerushalayim, it's a very, very, very well-known, prestigious film. Acham Ovadia Hadaya was well-known. And his Haktama to the book Yaskil Abdi, he says, what's the big deal about three? Why is the Torah making such a fuss? Torah of three, and three people, three, a third, third of the womb, and third month, and third day, to the people of three. So he says, it's because the number three in Jewish law represents Hazakah. That something that's connected to the number three is durable. It has endurance. It lasts. We call that hazakah. Something happens once. Okay, once it's a fluke. Twice, okay, it's a charm. But three times already, that's it. It will be forever. Like it says in the uh, in Mishle, Shalom Melech talking. Shalom Melech says, V'ahut hamshulash, and the cord that has three parts to it, three chords, will not be torn that easily. When something is tripled, so it has you know, extra, extra strength, therefore the Torah is something of three. And we know that concept already from another Gemara that says, if you could measure in your own families, you can do this now at home, that you have three generations of uninterrupted Torah. That means you have a father, a son, and a grandson that are all learning Torah, that are all committed to the books, you can go to sleep good tonight because the Torah guarantees Torah will never leave your family. Torah will always remain in a family that can produce at least three generations of uninterrupted Torah. And where do they learn that from? Lo yamushu mipicha. Umipi zaracha. Umipi zera zaracha. Amar Adonai me'atav adonam. If you have Torah in zaracha, umipi zera zaracha, 
from you, your son, your grandson, God says, Amar Hashem, me'ata ve'adolam, for here till eternity. Especially if you have all three learning together. That's a tremendous zikhut if you have a father, son, and grandson in the same class, learning around the same table, that already, according to the Tosafot, at least that's really where the Berach is, where they're actually not only uninterrupted learning, but they're learning together. The Hidar writes that Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov actually lived for 15 years together. And for those 15 years, they all learned together. Could you imagine you walked into the Bible, you see Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, father, son, and grandson learning together only 15 hours a day. And the Hidar writes that he thinks it's more. He thinks it's a mistake in that text. It should say like 24 hours a day. They, they didn't sleep. But any event, so therefore, Rabbi Hadaya writes, and the Torah is going out of its way to say it's a Torah of three, to know that all things are temporary. All literature comes and goes. Things come into style. Things go out of style. Things are in vogue. Things go out of vogue. Things are popular. Things become unpopular. Things are, 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 are very, very uh, 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 in, 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 in the news, and then all of a sudden, it's forgotten. The only thing that lasts forever and will endure and stand the test of time is the Torah that's from the three. And the three is Torah Kedoshat. The Torah lasts forever. I saw today, we lost a big tzaddik, Rabbi Uri Zohar, Alaba Shalom, was one of the great, great tzaddikim in Eretz Israel. Uh, film director, movie star, turned Haredi rabbi, which is an incredible story in its own. He was a brilliant man. He's authored many books, brought thousands of people back to Teshuvah. Exceptional tzaddik, and it's important to, to recognize it. So they sent me a clip today that Uri Zohar, Allah Shalom, is trying to tell some young kids that Torah is eternity. Torah is forever, and it's not going to be forgotten. And he gave an example. He's talking to Israeli kids. He says... Who's the, uh, the fourth prime minister of Israel? You see all the kids sitting there over there? You, you, you never heard of him. Even though when he, when he was the prime minister, he probably was an important guy. He probably was in the newspaper every day, and he probably was in the news every night. But 50 years later, nobody even knows the guy's name. But he says, but everybody's still talking about Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai. Everybody still knows Rabbi Akiva, and you never saw him. But you still know Betelel and Betshamai. Who doesn't know Rishlakish? Who doesn't know Abaye and Rabah? Who doesn't know all the great Abiyah Azam and Azariah? We read about them in the Haggadah Shepesa. We're still talking about them. Ask any kid. Do you know, have you ever been to Yeshua? Of course, to be Yeshua. And therefore, you see that the Torah is something that is eternal. It doesn't go out of style. Ask an American. Who's the 11th president of the United States? Now, I'm, I'm sure he was an important guy for the four years that he served. He might even be on a, you know, some coin somewhere. But nobody really could uh, know. You only know the famous ones, the 16th, the 1st. and uh, I, don't think you, I don't think the president now even knows. Uh, but that's another question. But the, point is, but the point is that even things that were prominent in its time, they lose their prominence because they're really not important. They're forgotten. So that's what the Rav Hadaya writes. Rav Hadaya writes, we have a Torah of three, which reminds the, uh, the receiver of the Torah, you got something that's here forever. So therefore, it's definitely worth your investment and your time to study. But what I came to discuss tonight is actually a, a piece that I saw in a sefer written by Rav Chaim Leib Hyman. He was a student of Rav Aaron Cutler, and he was the uh, 
rabbi of Bayit Vagan in Yerushalayim, and he wrote beautiful, beautiful dirashot, and he has over here one of the classics, I believe, and therefore I'd like to uh, present it. So he says, wait, he has a theory that we use from time to time now. I'm happy that Baruch Hashem, I'm using the theories of the great rabbis before me. I was pleasantly uh, happy and surprised to see that he uses this method. His theory is like this. All right, you see the number three. If you want to understand what the significance of a Torah of three is, you got to go back to the first three in the Torah. You got to go back to the beginning of creation and go back to the third day of creation, where it's really the first three, and the, over there you'll start to see exactly some of the, uh, the secrets. You've got to always trace it back to the origin, to the roots. So that forces us to take out Sefer Bereshit, even though we're into Bamidbar this week, but we're always in Bereshit because that's where the protoplasm of the whole Torah is. Every, everything starts in Bereshit, and everything ends in Bereshit. So therefore, instead of looking at the fruit, we always like to go back to the chromosomes and the DNA to look at exactly where all this stuff began. So let's go to the third day of creation. And there's some, in my opinion, some of the most incredible comments of Rashi over here. These comments, if they were from the Kabbalah, you'd say, yeah, this is Kabbalah. You, know, you need to be Shimon when you're high to come and explain to us. But you'll see that these are comments from none other than Rashi, who's coming to explain the pshat of the Pesukim to a five-year-old. Let's read. If you have your Hamashim in front of you, it's chapter one, and we're reading Pasuk 11 and 12. Elohim. God says, day three. So God says, let the, uh, let the earth set forth or sprout vegetation. Esev mazriya Herbage, or I guess silent H, herbage. Yielding seed. Okay, a fancy word for foliage, grass, you know, low-lying uh, greenery. So that's what God said on the third day. Let the earth produce the grass and the herbs. It's pity, and also to produce trees. And the trees should yield fruit after its kind. Limino, key word, means when it came to trees, God said, apple only produce apples and oranges will only produce oranges. They will be distinct to their mean. When it came to grass, however, God did not put that limitation on grass that they only have to produce their kind. The grass can grow wild. It doesn't have to be loyal to its, uh, to its species. Fine. Look at the next pasuk. The next pasuk says, deshe. Okay, God said, let the earth sprout. And it listened. And it actually produced grass and herbage to its species. Hold it. God never told the grass that it has to produce only to its species. It told the grass, you can go wild. And the grass, it seems, was mahmir, and said, no, we're going to opt to be leminehu as well. And Rashi asks, why? I quote you Rashi over here. 
אף על פי שלא נאמר למינהו בדשאים בציוויהן, even though at the time of the commandment he did not say למינהו, שמעו שנצטוו האילנות על כך. It seems that the grass was eavesdropping when God was talking to the trees. And God told the trees למינהו. So when the grass said what? The trees have to be למינהו, נשאו קלווהומר בעצמם. Unbelievable. They made a קלווהומר. Now you know what a קלווהומר is? Now I don't know uh, if you ladies did that for your meat today, but the men that did it, we do this all day long. The Gemara is filled with קלווהומר. It's one of the 13 ways that we produce Torah. קלווהומר is a way we extract knowledge and we create laws. But strangely enough, the first Kava Homer was not said, not in Ponovich Yeshiva and not in Porat Yosef. The first Kava Homer was not made by a Rosh Yeshiva at all. It was made by the grass. This is called the grassroots Kava Homer. Now, what is, the, what is this Kava Homer that they made? Now, Rashi doesn't tell us what the Kava Homer is. Because that's not Rashi's issue to get involved What the Kavahomer is. He says, go look at the Gemara Holin. What Rashi's point is to tell us, that's why there's no contradiction in the text. Even though God didn't say, Leminehu, but since they overheard the, uh, the instruction to the trees, which was Leminehu, they said, ah, if the trees have to be Leminehu, then Kavahomer, we have to be Leminehu. And the Gemara explains what the Kavahomer was. It's not important for us to know what the Kavahomer was. The fact is that they made a Kavahomer. And it seems that they were right. Because the Torah comes along and says uh, that they did it. Vayar Elohim Kitov. And God said, Kitov, it's all good. So that is very, very interesting. Now, just for some of our members that already find this too esoteric, how does grass make a kavahomer? I mean, you've walked by a garden before and you haven't heard Uh, the grass tumulting and learning, you know, giving a shiur klali or a pilpul. Usually the grass is just uh, silent. Uh, now all of a sudden we're learning that the grass actually was, uh, was a yeshiva man. And the explanation is it's not the grass per se, it's the angel. Every, every part of creation has an angel. <clears throat> and it seems that the angel started to use one of the elements that we use in learning to produce Torah He used it in order to produce grass. Says Rav Hyman, something beautiful. You see something here on the third day. When God created the world, he used the Torah as his blueprint. <laughs> the Torah is the blueprint of the creation. So therefore, if there's going to be learning, part of the Torah is learning. Kabahomid. Where did God put the formulas or lavdil? When we went to geometry, they taught us the geometric theorems. And they told you, if you know these geometric theorems, you'll be able to solve all the uh, geometric problems. They also told us that you're going to need this in life. And they were wrong because I never used geometry since the day I graduated. But that's, that's for another discussion. I guess, I guess I'm only uh, early 50s, so I guess I got time. As at the shim. In any event... <coughs> Just like the geometric theorems, there's formulas in how to extract Torah. One of the ways is Kavah Omer. So where did God embed 
kava homer in the creation. Where was that in the in the bria? It's in the grass. When you look at the grass, their existence actually came from a kava. Now that kava homer eventually is in the creation because it must be in the Torah. We use it in learning, but it's got to be in the creation because that's the blueprint. And therefore, the first day in creation that we start to see Torah principles, Torah formulas being used is day three. So therefore he says, ah, that's why the Gidi Da'er was making such a big deal. It's a Torah of three, because look at the third day. That's when already we start to introduce concepts in, in learning. Torah, Shema Alpeh, Kalvahomer, the Kalvahomer of the, of the grass. But he says, wait, it doesn't end there. He says, now we have a problem with the trees. Yeah, big problems over here in the garden uh, that God created on day three. I think the grass had a problem. The, the trees even have a bigger problem. Their problem is like this. When God said to make the trees, what does it say? It's pity. Now, what does it's pity mean? I'm going to tell you the complicated way to learn it's pity. Because if you would ask me what it's pity is, I would say it's pity, a fruit tree. It's very simple. We know what fruit trees are. And I would say, what is a fruit tree? It's made up of two parts. It's made up of the it's, and it's made up of the pity. It's made up of the bark, and it's made up of the fruit. Just like we have conventional fruit trees. But the Torah has a different way of learning. The Torah learns things in a deep manner. And the Torah's way of learning is, it's pity, the it's, that's like the pri. That just like the pri is edible, the etz is also edible. Which means, when God said that he wants trees to come sprout forth from the ground, which type of trees does he want? He wants trees that are etz pri, that are totally edible. That means in the perfect world, you should be able to go to an apple tree, and you should have the option to eat from the tree, and guess what? You'd make the same beracha. The real beracha would be bore priyaetz, because you're eating actually from the, the tree itself. <coughs> That's the way it was supposed to be. But, hold on to your seats. The uh, tree didn't listen. Pasuk says, aretz, ose pity. The tree made fruit, but the tree itself did not come out as fruit. God said, it's pity. And the tree reacted how? It's also pity. Now, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's just an amazing concept in itself that the tree could disobey. I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know that creation has the ability to disobey. And not only that, but the Torah sounds like that the tree did perfectly fine because the Pasuk says, Vahichen. Vahichen sounds like, and it was. Well, actually, and it wasn't. Because God wanted the tree to come out one way, and the tree actually came out a different way. So how do we reconcile this? So Hyman over here again, in a brilliant explanation, says the following. He says, in Torah... We have different levels of learning. There's what's called pshat. Pshat is a basic level, simple level. Nothing is simple, but pshat is the entry level. And then you have a higher level, which is called drash. Drash is already when you use one of the 13 principles that I talked about 
in order to bring out deeper understanding of the Torah. Now, let's, let's assume that the tree follows Pshat. He's not a Kabbalist, he's not a Darshan. A tree is a simple, uh, simple tree. And he wants to understand words according to this simple explanation. If I were to tell you, it's pity, what would you tell me? Fruit tree. Now, when you say fruit tree, does that mean, oh, that the tree is fruit? No. Just like if I say raincoat, doesn't mean that the coat is made out of rain. It means it's a coat that you wear during the rain. If I say raincoat or fruit tree, and therefore according to pshat level, the tree was okay. And that's why the pasuk says, when the tree actually produced a separate fruit from the tree, vahichen, meaning on a pshat level, yeah, it's, it's okay, you know. But the tree failed to make a dirash. Now, let me teach you one of the 13 principles. I taught you already one of them, Kavahomer. That's one way. Who made the Kavahomer? The grass. And what if God told the, uh, the, the trees to be, let me know, uh, so Kavahomer we have to. But there's another one of the principles that's called Hekesh. Anybody know what Hekesh is? Hekesh is when you take, when you have two words in the Torah that are juxtaposed to each other. That's a $10 word. And juxtaposed means that they're next to each other. Nobody knew that word till Art Scroll. When Art Scroll introduced juxtaposed, now you got all these 11-year-olds walking around and juxtaposed. It's an Art Scroll word. Give credit where credit is due. When we were young, we just said two words that are next to each other. You know, we're not so uh, sophisticated. In any event, <clears throat> so you have these two juxtaposed words. So what the Torah wants you to do is you're allowed to Say, hey, why is this word the neighbor of this word? Must be, it's to teach me that they have some similarities amongst them. And therefore, if you learn it's pity, fruit tree, according to pshad, fruit tree, a fruit that, a tree that bears fruit. But if you make what's called the hekesh, hekesh would say, it's pity, just like the pity is edible, so to the it's is edible. Now that's a dirash. I'm sorry to tell you, although the tree is do, gave pshat in its pity, it did not give dirash, it did not make a hekesh. And therefore, when it produced, it produced its osipity. Now, I probably have a good reason why. I think it's for self-preservation. Because if the tree can be eaten also, then there's not going to be anything left. So therefore, it's got to save something for itself. So there's pikuah nefesh. But... Be, be it, as, be as, it as, as it may, again you see in this perasha the introduction of a hekesh. Now, hekesh is something we use every day in the Talmud. All day long, we're creating the Vre Torah using hekesh. And what's the first day that hekesh is introduced? Day three. And therefore, day three of creation actually is the beginning of where you start to see the formulas of Torah embedded in the creation. So when you see grass, what do you remember? Oh, they're only here because of a Kalbahomid. And when you see trees that the bark is unedible, you say, huh, oh, they didn't make a hekesh. And therefore, already these items signal to us the inyan of Torah. What was used in the creation of the world to produce world is used in the Torah world to produce Torah. And all that begins on Day three. 
Now, based on this, we can explain an amazing custom. The Ramah brings down in Tapsadi Dalit, there's different customs that communities have on Shavuot. A lot of traditions. One of the traditions, of course, is the kalsonis uh, that we eat, or the cheesecake that Ashkenazi meat, and that we'll discuss for another time. But it's a, it's a legitimate minhag. And even if it wasn't, I don't think anybody's going to stop doing it. But the minhag that I want to talk about tonight is the minhag that the Ramah brings. He says the minhag of the Ramah is that the synagogue should be adorned with grass on Shavuot. When you come into the Bet Knesset, yesh lishtoah asavim. You put grass greenery. If you come to Ashul tomorrow night, you'll start to see that they start all green leaves and grass to make the shul. That's the theme of the Bet Knesset, which means the theme of the holiday is grass, he says. If you're going to a florist, you tell them, make sure you bring all the greens. Make it look like uh, you know, a grassy, uh, grassy area. Why? So he says, because we want to remember Har Sinai. Miracle happened when we received the Torah is that grass started to grow around the mountain. Now, if anybody was ever in the desert, there's no grass. There's nothing growing. There's no vegetation, no nothing. It's arid and it's dry land. Miracle happened that when they got to Hadassah Sinai, it was plush, beautiful pastures over there of greenery. And we know it to be true because the Torah says to the people, that the sheep and the flock should not graze next to the mountain. That means there was grazing. That means there was, there was something for them to eat. And therefore, in order to commemorate the beauty of the uh, greenery that happened in Hadassah Sinai, so therefore, we deck out the batik and isiyot in green. So when you walk in, you say, ha ha, this was harasina. And incidentally, a lot of the customs that we have at our weddings emanate from whatever happened at harasina because that was a wedding ceremony. It was the wedding ceremony between God and the Jewish people. And since there was flowers at harasina, that's where their florist gets his head in at a wedding. Now, of course, they take advantage, but the original custom was to follow Harsinai. There was flowers at Harsinai, there was grass, so you got to have flowers at a wedding. And if you look, there's many, many corollaries between what they did at Harsinai, and uh, uh, I once explained that that's why when you go to the wedding today, the kids have the DJ playing the music where you can't hear anything, because by Matantra it says, Kolotu Brakim, that there was thunder and there was uh, loud sounds, so therefore that's the DJ, Mikayim, uh, that Minhag uh, as well. And then you have the light show, that's the, that's the lightning, and all the other things that they had as well. Anyway, Based on what we're saying now, however, we have a very, very beautiful explanation why we have grass in the synagogue. Because since the Torah is a Torah of three, and what was created on the third day? The grass. And the grass is the first part of creation that introduces Torah. It introduces Kalbahomet. It introduces something that would be used in yeshivas for the rest of time. And therefore, when we come into the Bet Knesset, we see Esev Mazriya Zera Leminehu. And we say to ourselves, hey, Leminehu, where did it go Leminehu? Ah, Darash Kavahomer. And therefore, that grass earned its right to become the decor of Shavuot because it reminds us of a Torah of three. That means when you walk into the shul, your friend's going to tell you, ah, why are we doing it? Because that's the way Matan Torah was. And you're going to say, 
No, this is zechet to the grass that God created on day three. Said, what are you talking about? That we should do in Parashat Bereshit. No, we're going to do it on Shavuot. Because remember, the Torah is the Torah of three. And the origins of three steps of the third day of creation. Now, based on this, I heard this from Rabbi Bernstein. May live and be well. And he says, Rabbi Emanuel Bernstein, and he says a cherry. It's a cherry to this Santosh over here. The cherry he adds is as follows. He says there's a famous Magen Abraham. Yeah, Abraham is one of the poskim. Magen Abraham says not only should you have grass in the Bet Knesset on Shavuot, you should have trees. And the reason he says you should have trees is because since on Shavuot it says we are judged, that the fruit trees are judged on Shavuot. On Sukkot we're judged on the water. On Pesach, we're judged with the wheat. And on Atzeret, Meperot Ha'ilan. So therefore, since we're being judged, put some trees in the Bet Knesset. I guess he meant fruit trees. And I guess if you went to the shul of the Magen Abraham, wherever he lived, you went on Shavuot, you'd see not only grass, but you'd see actually trees. Now, don't ask me how they uprooted fruit trees to put them in the shul. You're really not allowed to uproot a fruit tree. Our technical issues, maybe they uprooted it temporarily and then went back and planted it. Okay, that's a, you know, you have to ask your, uh, your yeah, they put the pot. Okay, yes, the gardener. That's a, that's a gardening question. Now, how come you don't see trees in the shuls? We do see flowers and greenery, but we don't see trees in the shuls on Shavuot. And that's because the Gaon Vilna took it away. The Gaon Rabbi Eliyahu from Vilna said, I'm sorry. Although you have a good reason to put the trees there, because you want to remember that we're being judged for the Perot Ha'ilan, but it reminds us too much of the Goyim, because the Goyim, they have a religion that is about trees. Their holidays are all about the tree. And therefore, it doesn't look good, you're following the Goyim. What do you see in December time? Every uh, guy's got a tree on the, on the roof of his car, he's going home. Now what are you going to see? The Jews in, the, in June. Got trees on top of their trunk. It's our version, God forbid. And you go put the tree in the shoe over there. You're going to start, uh, you know, what's going to happen? You know, you're not going to leave a tree to be like that. It's going to end up turning into a, uh, a Shavuot tree. And uh, we don't want that. We don't want a Matan Torah tree. One time I was asked to speak in London and uh, at a yeshiva dinner. And this was a, you know, rabbi, a very Tamim guy, Sadiq guy. And he was in the Hilton in London, right down, downtown. And uh, he's all excited. He had his people go and prepare the whole uh, the, the hall and everything was you know, to, done to a tea. And it was December time. And they have the pulpit right there. And he walks in and you see his eyes drop. There was a big tree over there. It was December time. Maybe the thing was 20 feet tall. So now I'm looking at him. What is he going to do now over here? So he looks at me and says, Rabbi Mansur, isn't that the most beautiful Hanukkah tree that you ever saw? Because <laughs> it was Hanukkah time. Okay, Hanukkah tree. Who knows? They ended up having to, to drape it and all like that, but it wasn't so simple. So that's, that, that, that's the problem. If you're going to walk into the shul now and start to see trees, the government villain says, no good. You're not allowed to go in their ways. Good. Which means, this is Rabbi, Fried, Rabbi Bernstein's point. He says like this. Trees were supposed to be in. They were supposed to have a, uh, a presence on Shavuot. But halachic fate, we'll call it. Halachic divine providence put the trees out. Did you know why? Because they were supposed to be Doresh Hekesh. 
They were supposed to be a Doresh Kesh, like the grass was Doresh Kalvahomer. So he says, the grass that was Doresh Kalvahomer, that used the principles of Torah correctly, grass is in. The trees that did not Doresh Kesh, Borei made sure the trees are out. And therefore, they're not going to be represented because they were supposed to represent that helic of Torah, and it wasn't. And therefore, they have no helic in the uh, decor of Shavuot. A very, very nice tidbit. It goes one more step. So basically, it's all about day three. Day three is got all the threes. Like the Gemara said, and it's got day three of creation that introduces Kavahomet. But we're missing a Hekesh. We're missing it. I mean, in the original plan, there was supposed to be a Hekesh over there. It's pity, but the tree, you know, had its own brain and went, uh, went pshat on us. So we need a Hekesh. Where are we going to get this Hekesh? We found it. Let's do a story. Trivia question. If you ask most people, what day did we get the Torah? They'll tell you, the 6th of Sivan. And they're wrong. They were, we were supposed to get it on the Sivan. The invitation was sent out, 6th Sivan. But when everybody came to the hall, the Hatan wasn't there. It's because the, uh, the planner, who was Moshe, he pushed it off a day. Not because it was raining or, you know, uh, weather inclement, God controls the weather. And not because the hall was, uh, wasn't ready or it was uh, taken by another customer. It was, he delayed it. Could you imagine? If, if I was Moshe, if anything, I would bring it a day early. And Moshe Rabbeinu pushes it off. The Gemara says, Tish'a'be'av that falls out on a Shabbat, you push it off. The Gemara says, why don't you bring it to Thursday? Bring it early. We never want to bring bad things early. Push it off, and maybe by pushing it off, Mashiach will come, and then uh, we, don't, we don't got to do it. That, that, that's the hope. Now, Torah obviously is a good thing. So why would Moshe Rabbeinu delay it today? If anything, bring it, bring it early. Here's the issue. God comes to Moshe Rabbeinu on the fourth day of Sivan, and he says, okay, Moshe, we're almost ready for the wedding. But last preparations that are needed, v'kiddashtem hayom umachar. You need to prepare today and tomorrow. What does that mean, prepare? You have to tell the uh, people they cannot be with their wives. They have to separate. They have to have what's called hagbalah, perisha. Now, how many days? God said, hayom umachar. Now, if you learn simply, Hayom is the fourth, and tomorrow is the fifth, and on the sixth, you get the book. That's the way I would have learned it, that's the way you would have learned it, and that's the way most people would have done it, and then the Torah would have actually been on time, on schedule. What Moshe Rabbeinu do? He made one of the most famous Hekeshes in history. A Hekesh. The missing Hekesh. Moshe Rabbeinu says, wait. God says, V'kiddashtem hayom umahar. Back to that juxtaposed word. The Torah is juxtaposing 
tomorrow was today. Hayom umaran. And therefore, today has to be similar to tomorrow. In what sense? Just like tomorrow is a full day, night and day, so too the first day of this program has to be full, night and day. And since God came to me in the middle of the fourth day, and we didn't start from the night before, this day doesn't count. Therefore, we got to start from Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, that's two full days, night and day, and the Torah will be given on the seventh, with that year was Shabbat. You understand what he did? V'kiddashtem, hayom u'mahar, hekesh, just like mahar, the following day is a full day. Full day starts at night. Therefore, night and day. But this day cannot be included because it's not a full day, because God gave it in the middle of the fourth. What happened to the night before? The night before they were with their wives. So therefore, it cannot be day one. So therefore, don't count day four. The hayom has to be like the mahar, and therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu makes a classic hekesh. And the explanation is, that means if the Torah was given, when we're going to celebrate, which, I'll point this out, if you're in America for Shavuot, this is the holiday, you don't want to be in Israel. Why? Because in Israel, they only celebrate one day of Shavuot. They celebrate the 6th of Sivan. They celebrate the day that the wedding was supposed to be. But if you're in America for Shavuot, we have two days. Now, if there's one holiday that you shouldn't complain about the second day, it's Shavuot, because really the second day is the day. Therefore, we're, we're, we're representing Klaius and here in Galut, celebrating the day. And actually, Shavuot was a holiday that was celebrated outside of Eretz Yisrael, it was in the Midbar. It's supposed to holiday to start off with. But the point of it is, when we're going to be celebrating Shavuot on the seventh day of Sivan, and somebody's going to say, hey, where did this come from? And you know what you're going to tell them? Hekesh. Moshe Rabbeinu used one of the uh, biblical theorems, the formulas over here, to produce Torah. That means our whole date of Shavuot comes from what? A Hekesh. And day three, day three, because God only said two days, Hayom Umahar. Day three. So when the Gemara says the Torah is a, is a Torah of threes, because it was given on the third day. Why was it given on the third day? Because Moshe Rabbeinu made Hekesh. The Hekesh that was not made on the third day of creation by the tree. So Moshe Rabbeinu came back to fill in the Hekesh that the tree did not make, and therefore he made his Hekesh. And therefore, the Torah goes back to being on the seventh day, which again, the third day of Hagbara. So you see, whichever approach you want to take, either you want to go with the B'nai Yisachar, that the three concept reminds us of the three parts of every mitzvah. Lower body, which is ma'aseh, which is nefesh. Ruah, which is the speech, which is the beracha, and the pasuk, and then the moah, which is the neshama, which is the machshava, or like we said, nahi, uh, uh, hagat, habad, or like we said, ibur, yinika, and uh, mohin. The point is, it's a Torah of three. And therefore, make sure you have all three ingredients when you perform this mitzvah. Or if you take the opinion of Rabbi Hadaya, Allah shalom, 
Rabbi Hadai's opinion is, sleep well. The Torah will always be around. It'll never be forgotten. It's three. And anything that's connected to the number three, lo yinatek, will not be unraveled quickly. The Torah is la'ad and la'netzah. And the third opinion is Rav Hyman's opinion. Rav Hyman says, three, because three brings us back to the original third day of creation, where we start to see Torah embedded in the creation itself. We see how the blueprint of Torah came out in the world. We start to be introduced to kalvahomers of the grass, potential hekeshes that the tree should have made, and the hekesh that eventually Moshe would make in its stead. And therefore, uh, this Gemara, although it sounds very, very, very simple and very pashut, uh, the Hakamim already were able to draw from this Gililaeh, we don't even know his name, the guy from the Galilee, they were able to draw very, very practical and wonderful secrets. And now we understand the Minhag of putting the grass in the shul, but you're not going to see trees. Maybe if the tree would have made the Hekesh, the Gaumim Vilna would have said, all right, let him in. But once already they failed to make the Hekesh, they only went according to the Pshat, Halachic divine providence brought them out. Nonetheless, we see that these minhagim, even even these minhagim that seem very, you know, simple, they have a lot of depth behind it, and it's mitzvah really to uncover all these deep secrets. At this point, I would like to take this opportunity to wish our members a shanim labot ne'emot v'tovot. You should receive the Torah on, on Shavuot. We pray that we should have a good year in learning. And I'm very, very happy that Baruch Hashem we had a good year. We must have had a good Shavuot last year. We said a lot of the Torah over the course of the time in the Shi'ur, and we were able to develop new concepts. We just pray at this time of the year that Borlam should continue to open up the wellsprings, both for the Darshan and for those that are, that are listening to Talmidim. And we should have a year of Piriyavid of Yabba Torah. We should be prosperous in learning, and the Pasuk should be fulfilled on us. Gal Enai Ve'abita the God should open our eyes and reveal the secrets of the Torah.